funding for NJ Spotlight News provided by the members of the New Jersey Education Association, making public schools great for every child, and RWJ Barnabas Health. Let's be healthy together. Tonight on NJ Spotlight News, Hoboken Mayor Ravi Bala is running for Congress, officially launching a challenge to first-term Congressman Rob Menendez, Jr. This race is not about political endorsements. It's about the endorsement of the people who vote in June, and we intend to get our message directly out to the voters of the, the, voters of the district. Plus, taking on the gun companies, New Jersey's AG filing lawsuits claiming they're in violation of the state's public nuisance laws. Also, a deeper look at free speech on college campuses after UPenn's president is ousted. They absolutely could have condemned um, anti-Semitism and explained the complexity of the issue and what they're facing on campuses and what they are going to be doing and climate concerns. Congressman Frank Pallone talks about the big issues facing the planet from this year's Global Climate Summit. You know, it's clear that we're back and the countries are looking to us for leadership, which I think is a good thing. NJ Spotlight News begins right now. From NJPBS Studios, this is NJ Spotlight News with Brianna Venozzi. Good evening and thanks for joining us on this Tuesday night. I'm Brianna Venozzi. The political fallout from U.S. Senator Bob Menendez's indictment is far from over. Hoboken Mayor Ravi Bala today announced he'll challenge the senator's son, Congressman Rob Menendez Jr., for the 8th District's House seat in June's Democratic primary. The showdown is largely seen as a test for the younger Menendez and whether his political career will be upended by his father's criminal corruption charges. It also sets up a messy situation for Hudson County Democrats. They pulled support for Senator Menendez following his indictment, but recently endorsed his son's re-election bid. Bala is now the second candidate to announce a run for the seat, but his two terms in the mayor's office may give him a leg up over other opponents. Senior political correspondent David Cruz reports. This is a story about a Jersey kid who grew up not looking like all the other Jersey kids. Ravi Bala is a bit of a trailblazer. There are not a lot of Sikhs even running for office in New Jersey, but the two-time mayor and councilman has thrived politically in Hoboken, a town that can be tough on any newcomer, let alone one who wears a turban called the Star. But Bala's run for Congress is going to take him into a whole other place, battling the vaunted Hudson County Democratic Organization which is firmly behind incumbent Rob Menendez. This race is not about political endorsements. It's about the endorsement of the people who vote in June. And we intend to get our message directly out to the voters of the, the, voters of the district. Okay, but the political reality is that the 8th district, based primarily in Hudson County, is a party stronghold. And the party has come out in support of Menendez, the son of the embattled senator, who's inherited his father's talent for pointed barbs, as evidenced by this tart retort to Bala's announcement today. I welcome Ravi into the race, especially since he can validate the work we've done on behalf of the residents of Hoboken, said the statement, 
adding, it seems the only reason Ravi has entered the race after endorsing me in 2022 is because a week after losing control of the city council, he sees no political future for himself in Hoboken. You seem really intent on not uh, uttering the words Rob Menendez or acknowledging that Rob uh, Menendez uh, even exists. He's the he's the incumbent. What is it that he has done or hasn't done that moves you to want to challenge him in a primary? Well, he was. Uh, it's no secret that he was anointed uh, to the U.S. Congress with no prior uh, history as an elected official. Um, and he's only served for about 11 months in the U.S. Congress. I think that draws a sharp contrast. And his father, well, you know, the gold bars and the money, something Bala alludes to in his announcement video. But the fact is that organization support and the money and the boots on the ground that come with it are going to be hard to beat. But some experts think Bala might be able to challenge that. He's got half a million dollars that he's raised for this race in a very short amount of time. Um, he's got name recognition. He's got a town behind him, or or, or so he would hope, right? And so, um, you know, these are some of the ingredients that it takes to really find out, is, is the line really what makes the difference here, or do you need a well-financed challenge and a well-organized challenge to the line? Um, we're gonna we're gonna kind of see what the power of the line really is here. If Mayor Bala were to pull this thing off and he were to actually defeat the incumbent in a presidential year, I mean, at that point, you might as well light the line on fire and throw it in the garbage, so to speak, because if you can't win with those kind of odds, I mean, I don't know what good the line is at that point. The mild-mannered Bala, who's been through his share of political battles in Hoboken and around Hudson County, will need to take the gloves off and get ready for a street fight against an opponent who's new to the game, but intent on throwing haymakers. I'm David Cruz, NJ Spotlight News. Attorney General Matt Plotkin says the state has a new way to combat gun violence. Today announcing the first of two lawsuits being brought under a law allowing New Jersey to sue gun companies under public nuisance regulations. The suit targets a store in Morris County over, quote, reckless gun storage and another location in Pennsylvania for selling ghost guns that ended up in the Garden State. Senior correspondent Brenda Flanagan reports. New Jersey's newest legal broadside and its battle over gun control targets a Morris County firearm shop for allegedly creating a public nuisance. The civil suit charges FSS Armory of Pine Brook posted website photos showing firearms illegally stacked by a window, which attracted thieves who broke in and easily stole unsecured weapons later used to commit crimes, according to the attorney general. Today we say enough. And we're putting everyone else in the gun industry on notice. If you break our laws, we're coming for you. The days of allowing you to profit unlawfully off of violence in our communities are over, period. The suit alleges a gang searching online for gun stores in New Jersey found FSS Armory, drove there, broke the glass window, reached through and stole 20 guns. The burglars promptly trafficked the guns. Some have since been recovered in criminal investigations. Others have been used in crimes or recovered at active crime scenes. Most remain unaccounted for. Selling firearms is a serious business and the gun industry in New Jersey is regulated carefully for good reason. When industry members fail to behave responsibly, the consequences are dire. 
A second lawsuit over ghost guns charges they're aggressively advertised in New Jersey where they're illegal by companies operating in Pennsylvania. It alleges Eagle Shows and JSD Supply market and sell to New Jersey residents parts to make untraceable ghost guns without checking their purchaser's residency, age, felony status, or qualifications to purchase or possess a firearm, and without filtering out traffickers making multiple purchases. Purchases. Unsurprisingly, New Jersey law enforcement have un arrested numerous individuals in possession of significant numbers of ghost guns purchased at Eagle Gun Shows. And ghost guns that appear to have JSD frames have been recovered in multiple crimes. Platkin said the number of ghost guns recovered from crime scenes in 2022 was 400% higher than two years prior. Both complaints were brought by the Attorney General's new statewide Affirmative Firearms Enforcement, or SAFE, office created last year to enforce the controversial public nuisance law. The public nuisance lawsuits offer novel legal leverage. Using robust civil enforcement tools to hold accountable those who break our laws and place profits ahead of public safety. We look at every case from every angle, and when we can make criminal cases, we do. And we use civil enforcement tools to hold accountable those whom we can't make criminal cases against for whatever reason. FSS Armory had no comment. The owner of Eagle Shows and JSD Supply, which has also been sued by the feds over ghost gun sales, could not be reached for comment. But gun rights groups have criticized the public nuisance law and other measures Governor Murphy signed, calling them harassment of an already strictly regulated firearms industry in the state. In fact, the National Shooting Sports Foundation has already promised a court challenge the moment New Jersey filed public nuisance lawsuits. In the end, the courts will call the shots. I'm Brenda Flanagan, NJ Spotlight News. The backlash continues following last week's scathing congressional hearing on anti-Semitism, where university presidents from three Ivy League schools came under fire after they appeared to evade questions about campus policies on anti-Semitism and whether they'd discipline students who call for the genocide of Jews. Congresswoman Mikey Sherrill on Monday sent a letter to the leadership of every higher ed institution in New Jersey asking for their concrete plans to address the rise of anti-Semitism being reported at colleges across the state. This, as Harvard's president, Claudine Gay, today received the unanimous backing of the university's board to keep her position despite growing calls for her ouster. But UPenn president Elizabeth McGill, she wasn't as lucky. She resigned amid pressure in the wake of the controversy. All of it has thrust the politics of campus free speech into the spotlight. To dive deeper, I'm joined by Kristen Shaverdian, an expert on free expression and education at Pan America. Kristen Shaverdian, thanks so much for joining me. So let me ask you about the scrutiny that these college presidents have received. Is it an appropriate response or is it a threat to open expression at colleges and universities? Well, thank you for having me here today. Um, I think the answer is not so much an either or, but there's a lot of complexity here and a lot of things going on. On one hand, there's absolutely things that the college presidents could have done better. Uh, they were walking into a really challenging situation, um, but 
they absolutely could have condemned um, anti-Semitism and explained the complexity of the issue and what they're facing on campuses and what they are going to be doing, um, what they have been doing and what they're going to be doing to really help um, the climate on campuses. So I think that uh, in that light, there is um, scrutiny that, that I hope that college presidents and campus communities overall will really take. Campuses can do a lot to really help uh, their community through education, uh, through really understanding what uh, the First Amendment protects, where uh, speech or action, again, we remember that context matters, does cross the line. And also they need to be doing a lot for their students and for their campus community to uh, uphold everyone's right and, and to have speech, but also to provide opportunities and resources for students who might be feeling like they're not safe, who need help with uh, mental health resources. They can also do a lot of education around what is free expression, what is academic freedom, why does it matter historically to a university, why isn't it a value we're holding on to? You know, private universities have different um, obligations, and while we recommend they really hew very close to First Amendment protections, they also can be putting into place policies and really articulating how those policies uh, work across campus. I think one of the key things is a lack of understanding for everyone on campus of what the policies are, how they're being implemented, how are they being implemented fairly, so that that communication, that clarity can really come through. And, you know, while it's very hard to do in times of crisis, they can also be doing these things, and they should be uh, proactively, consistently, and constantly throughout the, so the academic yeah, let, let me bring it back, Kristen. So ultimately, what threat, if any, is posed when you have bodies like this going before a political institution like Congress, um, where intervention is, uh, I guess, um, expected? Is there a threat there? Um, what we're, you know, what we look at and what we're concerned about is there the fact that right now we're in a political climate where there certainly have been um, politicians and legislation that has been put forth in the last year that has curtailed academic freedom on campuses. Um, and we want to be mindful and aware uh, that this current crisis could be used to embolden uh, certain politicians to dive even further into their curtailing of higher education's autonomy uh, and ability to do their job and do their jobs well. And so now is a real time where higher ed can really demonstrate what they are doing to uh, uphold free speech protections, uphold that value very strongly, and be doing many, many more things to support all of their students across campus. Kristen Shiverdian is with the organization PEN America. Kristen, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. In our spotlight on Business Report, frustrated tenants at an Elizabeth apartment complex are taking matters into their own hands tonight, organizing a union among the renters to fight what they say are unsafe living conditions and unlawful rent hikes. As Ted Goldberg reports, the move comes after the landlord was hit for nearly 300 violations by the state, but is yet to make repairs. The conditions in this building are deplorable. 
and the landlord is raising the rent illegally in a rent-controlled building. People who live at 19 Pingree Place in Elizabeth are fed up with their landlord, and they've organized a union to protest their living conditions. We are afraid that they are doing this in the building and letting it fall into disrepair to force us out and to replace us with tenants who will pay more. We've seen that happen here in Elizabeth and in other cities across New Jersey. And that's why tenants are organizing here today because they want to stay in this building. This is their home. Many have lived here for 20 years. They've raised their children here. Sarah Cullinane leads Make the Road New Jersey, a nonprofit based in Elizabeth. Tenants here want to stay in their building and they want their landlord to make repairs before it's too late and before they're forced to condemn the building. She says residents have a laundry list of issues that haven't been addressed by their landlord, Pingree Equity LLC. These conditions are deplorable and the tenants deserve and under New Jersey law they must, uh, the landlord must provide um, uh, habitable conditions for their tenants. Since I've moved into my apartment eight years ago, I still don't have light in my living room. When the pipe burst, the ceiling flooded and fell in, and the whole bathroom was flooded. Um, we made calls to the office and no one responded. We didn't have anywhere to go. My daughter and I were suffering because of this flood. La, la pared. There's water coming into the closet in my bedroom and there's uh, mold. My belongings have been ruined because of the leak. New Jersey's Department of Community Affairs got involved last summer and says the building had almost 300 violations, ranging from non-functioning smoke alarms to busted plumbing in bathrooms. Pingree Equity LLC paid almost $4,000 in fines after not fixing the problems. The elevator has been broken for weeks. Sometimes it's br it breaks for three weeks on end. And I have to carry all of my groceries, all of my laundry up four flights of stairs. Since that uh, fine came out in the summer, um, the landlord has made some repairs, but not nearly enough. As you heard from the tenants today, there continue to be issues with the elevator, issues in their apartments. Representatives from Pingree Equity LLC asked us to leave while we heard from tenants and declined our requests for interview for this story. In Elizabeth, I'm Ted Goldberg, NJ Spotlight News. On Wall Street, stocks opened higher today after a key inflation report showed prices are mostly holding steady ahead of the Fed's final policy meeting of the year. Here's how the markets closed. Support for the Business Report is provided by Newark Alliance, which curates the Newark Holiday Festival a collaborative calendar of holiday events in Newark's Arts and Education District. More details available at NewarkHolidayFestival.com. The annual United Nations Climate Summit, known as COP28, has reached its final day. But tensions are flaring as talks remain divided over a draft climate agreement for the conference. The Global Plan of Action identifies ways for each country to limit climate change fast enough to avert more irreversible damage to the planet. But climate advocates attending the event in the United Arab Emirates, an oil-rich country, are blasting the latest draft for not including the phasing out of fossil fuels. 
fuels, which scientists say are the single biggest factor contributing to the potentially life-threatening changes to the climate. New Jersey Representative Frank Pallone is just back from attending COP28 with other members of Congress, and he joins me now. Congressman Pallone, thanks so much for joining me. Before I get to uh, what your input was during this summit, I want to just come to what's been happening in the last 24 hours. You have um, Al Gore putting on uh, X that this entire summit is on the verge of collapse. It appears that uh, these nations cannot come to an agreement on the specific language in this plan. How do you see this playing out? Well, I'm much more optimistic about this uh, conference. Uh, first of all, you know, from the very beginning, uh, the American uh, delegation, Secretary uh, Kerry in particular, have shown a lot of leadership. I mean, they got pledges uh, to uh, triple renewables, to uh, double energy efficiency, uh, to fund the methane pledge. Uh, a lot has already happened that's positive. And of course, I want you know the final draft to be as strong as possible, but I, I, I don't think there be, should be that much emphasis on the final draft because ultimately, what we want to do is to get a lot of these countries to agree, uh, you know, to move towards renewable, to reduce emissions, uh, certainly to phase out fossil fuels. Um, but the bottom line is that America has shown tremendous leadership here, and you know, I've been to these conferences for the last at least three or four times now. And, you know, it's clear that we're back and the countries are looking to us for leadership, which I think is a good thing. Is it aggressive enough, though? I mean, can you get behind? I understand where your point about the, the draft plan, but can you get behind it if it includes language like could include phasing out fossil fuels rather than it must? Well, it's important to phase out fossil fuels because I don't know how we can reach uh, you know, uh, reducing emissions sufficiently over the next few years if we don't phase out fossil fuels. But um, I think it's important to have a consensus agreement. Um, we'll see what the language actually is. Uh, and I, you know, I'm not going to haggle at this point over what exactly it is, because I do think that, remember, this is a, a, a consensus. It's, up, it's, it's really what matters is what the countries do. Uh, to, to re reduce emissions and phase out fossil fuels on their own. And uh, it's all consensus, right? So it's, you know, it's recommendations. So what we're seeing is that a lot of countries do want to phase out fossil fuels and are moving towards renewables and energy efficiency. And ultimately, I think that's what's important. What was your, or what were the conversations you were having while you were in Dubai? What was your focus Congressman uh, going in and then now being back home? Well, I think the most important thing for me was American leadership. Remember, I was there a few years ago when Trump was trying to pull us out of the agreement altogether. And that, and we were there to try to say, look, we still believe very strongly in climate action, even though, the, even though our president is trying to withdraw from the agreement. And then the following year, you know, we had, we were able to come there, which was last year, and show leadership in the sense that we had passed the Inflation Reduction Act. We were taking actions to move towards renewables, uh, to reduce methane. You know, we were taking a leadership role. And that was, I think, finally recognized this year. Uh, you know, methane is a perfect example, right, to reduce methanes. We passed a law in the, in the uh, Inflation Reduction Act 
to reduce it at home. Right. The president had just announced more action on methane. But and I, I guess I, I have to ask, country. Congressman, isn't that the responsibility of a nation like the United States, um, of a wealthy nation where we are producing most of these emissions that a lot of these other poorer countries, quite frankly, are suffering from? Right. And that and I think that's important. And even like when Secretary Kerry made an agreement with China on methane, that was another example, because if you look at it, it's countries like China, the United States, the ones that are you know, producing a lot of these emissions that need to show leadership. And we have. And so countries are looking to us now. And that's the most important thing, I think. Congressman Frank Pallone, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Brianna. And that's going to do it for us tonight. But don't forget to download the NJ Spotlight News podcast so you can listen anytime. I'm Brianna Venozzi for the entire NJ Spotlight News team. Thanks for being with us. Have a great evening. We'll see you right back here tomorrow. NJM Insurance Group, serving the insurance needs of residents and businesses for more than 100 years. And by the PSCG Foundation. Have some water. Look at these kids. How are you? What do you see? I see myself. I became an ESL teacher to give my students what I wanted when I came to this country. The opportunity to learn, to dream, to achieve, a chance to belong and to be an American. My name is Julia Toriani Crompton and I'm proud to be an NJEA member. Our future relies on more than clean energy. Our future relies on empowered communities, the health and safety of our families and neighbors, of our schools and streets. The PSEG Foundation is committed to sustainability, equity, and economic empowerment. Investing in parks, helping towns go green, supporting civic centers, scholarships, and workforce development that strengthen our community. I'm very grateful that I'm still here. That's me and my daughter when we went to celebrate our first anniversary. With a new kidney, I have strength. They gave me a new lease on life. I'm still going everywhere and exploring new places. Nobody thought I was going to be here. Nobody. And I look forward to getting older with my wife. That's possible now. We're transforming lives through innovative kidney treatments, living donor programs, and world-renowned care at two of New Jersey's premier hospitals. They gave me my normal life back. It's a blessing. RWJ Barnabas Health. Let's be healthy together.